Genesis 1 to 6, and from verse, and also 22 to 24. So when you're ready, just go ahead and read those verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So I wonder what you guys talked about. And those are really the two questions that we are going to be thinking about today. Now, what is wrong with the world and what is wrong with you? What's wrong with us? Um, what is wrong with the world? Uh, I wonder what you guys said. I wonder whether the trendy answer these days is uh, evil tech companies. I was watching the documentary, The Social Dilemma, uh, speaking about the big tech companies like Facebook and Google and how like these platforms, you know, they are set up for profiteering and the information flow is paid for by the company that pays the top dollar. And we as a users, uh, we end up being manipulated by the information that's being fed to us. And as a result, uh, we hear a lot of fake news. Society is polarized uh, and you see what's happening in the US. The nation's sort of split into half. Uh, so what's wrong? Uh, these evil tech companies Obviously, there are more pressing issues uh, that we uh, have been thinking about. Um, obviously, climate change has been a big one. That was the flavor of the month in 2019. And obviously, the, the global pandemic that we, we currently live in. So what is wrong with the world? Well, I, I reckon that most of us, we don't sit in armchairs and think about the big problems in the world. But most of us would think about the, the issues and the problems with us. I, I asked this question with, to a couple of friends over the past couple of days. And the thing that people mention um, sort of range from work situations or a marriage situation. And a friend told me that he was going through a really difficult um, health situation. 
or you might be thinking it is all about perhaps dissatisfaction with about yourself it might be your past that you you had or the upbringing that you had the opportunities that you you never had or perhaps your looks um your your body appearance your receding hairline or your body shape are things which uh, you are dissatisfied or it might be a lack of brain power just intellectual prowess or willpower the inability to to motivate yourself you know, these sort of issues we, we grapple with day to day and so the question is what is wrong with the world and in reverse and last week we saw the ideal uh, if you were here with us uh, we saw how humanity was going to flourish uh, but this week uh, we uh, we see something different I look at the punchline in our passage today. Look at verse 24 of the Bibles. So verse 24, he drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. From flourishing to, to chaos and being cast out. And so the question that Genesis 3 is all about is what went wrong, what went wrong in the beginning. Um, every week when I try to prepare uh, the, the passages, when I try to study, I feel real tension because the passages that we're looking at, they are massive chapters. Um, the, the whole of the Bible rests on these chapters, or if you like, the whole of humanity and Western society, they rest on these chapters. And just to state out there, we will not be able to, to cover every single thing. Uh, but my plan for the next 20 minutes or so is to try to bring us through to through the narrative at one go and hopefully we retain some of the drama of chapter three and then distill one or two ideas from what the chapter is teaching us okay and so let's let's dive into the passage and let's look at the drama the drama of genesis 2 and 3. Uh, last week if you were to summarize the chap uh, chapter two with one word. Uh, I think the best word to describe it is this word called potential. Um, if you had the music playing in the background, you would have a bridal chorus playing, uh, Here Comes the Bride. Uh, we witness a marriage. Uh, God, the father of the bride, gives woman to, to men. And men and women, perfect partnership with a job to fill the earth and to multiply it with images of God. Uh, where do these newlyweds, where do they live? Uh, they have a home and God gives them a temple-like garden. The provision that they had was a beautiful garden, a really lush vegetation, abundant waters of food that they needed, a trees that were good for food and pleasant to the eyes. But not just marriage and home, uh, they also had a job. God gives them, if you like, the most important job. Man was to work the ground, to keep it, if you like, to guard it. And we mentioned last week, uh, that was the role of being a priest. Uh, but we also described the role of priest as one that, well, works alongside the Creator God, one of close proximity. Uh, he works, he does what the Creator God is doing. He brings order from chaos. So that's what we get in Genesis 2. A new home, a new job, newly married. And it's, it's huge potential, uh, all God-given. But they have one guideline. Uh, take a look at verse 16. 
chapter 2, verse 16, sorry. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, with, as with any relationship, there are boundaries. So between men and women, um, there's a boundary that they need to hold fast together and not separate. Likewise, with creator God and man, uh, there's a boundary. A man must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. See, men, they cannot decide what is right and wrong. Otherwise, they will surely die. And there we have the dream start, a new, new home, a new job, newly married. It's all given by God. It's a life of potential. And so you would think that after chapter two, uh, the, the only way is up, right? Or wrong. And that's where we get to the choice. Um, if this was a movie, the background music would change from a bridal song to a really eerie horror tune. Uh, we see the serpent, uh, the creature, is slithering into the scene. Uh, a creature of chaos, and is described by the author as crafty. And at this point in, in the narrative, you should be asking these few questions in your head. Uh, the first question is, where, where, where was man uh, who was supposed to guard and to keep the garden? but the author is silent. The next question, where does the serpent come from? Um, why does he appear in the scene? Likewise, we are not told. But what are we told? Uh, we are told that the serpent speaks, and he speaks and he paints a portrait of God, a very different portrait of God. Uh, that God is strict, uh, that he lies, and that he's selfish. Uh, look at the strict God. Uh, down in verse 1. Uh, the serpent, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Uh, you see what the serpent is saying? Uh, God is not good. Uh, he's restrictive. He's holding you back. Uh, he's a strict God. Uh, look to, uh, not only strict God, but also a lying God. Look to verse 4. Uh, the serpent said to the woman, you were surely not die you will not surely die god said you will surely die if you eat and the serpent says you will not surely die he says god is not telling the truth there's no death no consequences you get a lying god and thirdly a selfish god look at verse five for god knows when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you'll be like god knowing good and evil you see the point there? God is not generous. He is stopping you from your full potential. God is selfish. And there you go. Two portraits being held up of God. Uh, Genesis 2, a generous God. One who provides, gives men and women a home, gives them a job. Uh, but portrait 2, a selfish God. A one who restricts you, one who holds you back, one who is hiding something from you. No one would know um, if you disobey him. Uh, two portraits. Uh, which would woman choose? Uh, which would woman believe? Or you might ask, which would you believe? And so we come to the decision. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. You see what woman does? She, she believes in the lie and she acts on it. She, she takes on the belief system of the serpent and she decides that she's right and God is wrong. Uh, she takes on the belief system of the serpent. And the narrator, he finally tells us what man is doing. Look at 6b, verse 6. And the woman also gave some of the fruit to her husband who was with her, and he ate. What was man doing? Uh, the man was doing nothing. Uh, he was silent and passive. He was next to women, just standing beside her. And so at this stage, we are left with a couple of questions as we, we see what women did. Uh, firstly, was the serpent right? Uh, will they die? I mean, woman didn't die. She was able to give the fruit to man. Well, next, what would be the consequences? I mean, would God know? And how would man respond? Or thirdly, will they become like God? Or will their eyes be open? And the thing is, the serpent was right. Uh, they, did, uh, they did become a bit like God. Their eyes were open. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, the serpent was right. Their eyes were open, but he was only half right. Um, it led to shame and fear of being judged. And the trees that were once pleasant to sight and good for food, uh, the trees became a place of hiding for men. Uh, would God know? Um, how would men respond? Look at verse 9. But the Lord God called to men and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Uh, you might have noticed that the man, he starts speaking like the serpent. Uh, firstly, he blames God. Uh, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Um, he takes on the belief system that God is, is not good. So no longer is man bringing order from the chaos. Um, he becomes a creature of chaos himself. How about woman? I look at verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Uh, the woman does what we all do. Uh, we blame everyone but ourselves. Uh, just a couple of days ago, I was trying to use the microwave to make a bit of porridge for breakfast. And being a bit clumsy, I... I snapped the hinge from the microwave, which meant that it stopped working. And at that very moment, uh, my wife, Matilda, she walks into the kitchen. And immediately I panic and I, I turn away from her, uh, pretending that nothing happens. And the thing is that I knew that she was going to use it, and probably in, uh, during the day. And there were two options in my head, uh, two things that I could say to her. I could say, firstly, uh, sorry, I was just being a bit clumsy. I, I broke the microwave. Or secondly, I could say, Oh, look at this. Uh, do you know the microwave just happened, just happened to break? 
but you can you can guess which one which one I said. But you see, that's the human reaction to to push the blame away from ourselves. And so, will 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 men and women will they die? And was the serpent right that they would not die? And that's where we come to the consequences. Uh, we see the curses, and men and women experiencing a living death. See, in one sense, the serpent was right. They don't die immediately, but they live a living death. And as Adam and Eve, uh, men and women, took on the belief system of the serpent, they themselves became creature of chaos. And maybe one of the ways to see how the curses are working is that the curses, they limit the spread of chaos. Uh, the serpent, he was cursed to crawl and eat the dust, to be enmity with woman. A woman, she continues her basic purpose of childbearing, but with immense pain. In verse 16, the pain is used twice to describe the, the, the childbearing of women. And men, he continues his basic purpose of working, but is done in pain. There's a battle with the ground. He works hard, work becomes really hard, stressful, and it becomes... A slog. And ultimately they, they are cast out. I look at verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, men and women, they, they died that day. And they lost their purpose. If you remember, Adam was meant to guard the garden, to keep it, but he lost his primary function to the angel. The angel was, would be the one who is now guarding the garden, and he prevents them from entering back in. See, men and women, they were left with a hollow vocation. If you like, um, there was a God-shaped hole in their work. Uh, they were toiling with no purpose. See, they were living, but not really living. Uh, they, were, they were experiencing a living death. And the living death gives ways to, to the final death, verse 19, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And even as man, he, he works, a sickness and misery and suffering, they are arms that are clawing him back to the ground. See, the curses, they limit the ability for men and women to bring more chaos to the world. Will they die? Yes, and they died that day, and they kept dying. And so that's the summary. Uh, there we have it, the greatest tragedy of all time. Uh, two chapters, 35 verses that the Bible sits upon, uh, 35 verses that humanity sits upon. A few applications uh, for us to consider uh, for today. Uh, first question, what is wrong with you? Uh, we talked about us being in difficult situations, uh, perhaps it's a work situation, a marriage or health situation, or dissatisfaction with yourself. See, the, the, the fundamental thing that Genesis 3 wants to say is that we have all believed a lie. And the Bible also describes that as, as sin. And the fundamental description of sin is this, we believe in a lie about God and we act on it. And if you boil it down, there are two portraits of God that we can believe in. 
Uh, firstly, we have the serpent's portrait. Uh, one of God is not good. And Richard Dawkins, he, he quite vividly paints the picture of God, um, maybe even better than the serpent. And here's what Richard Dawkins says from his book, uh, The God Delusion. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty and just unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleansing, misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capricious, malevolent, and malevolent bully. Uh, do you see Dawkins, his basic point? See, I'm, I'm better than God. I'm more moral than him. I'm essentially good, and God is not. Uh, but you have the Genesis 1 and 2 portrait of God. God is a generous God. Uh, he gives a job to man. And he forms a partnership between man and women and puts them in a place of potential. And it's just, he speaks the truth and he provides boundaries for their good. And so the question is, which portrait of God would you believe in? A sin like the woman did, um, had, she believed the lie. Uh, she decided what was right for herself. Uh, she saw that the tree was good for food when God said it was not good. And it was a delight to her eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise. She decided what was right and she acted on it. And so Genesis 3 shows us the fundamental issue um, that we experience. Uh, we believe in a lie about God, that he is not good. And we act on it. Now, perhaps uh, for most of us here who are Christians, uh, we may not use the same ritual as Dawkins to describe God. But it's worth considering if there are areas in our lives where we might slip into the habit of blaming God, say for our circumstances or the way we are. Uh, we might slip into the thought that God is not good. Uh, he's selfish. He's holding back something from us and the question that genesis 3 poses to us is this which portrait would you choose or which portrait of god will you choose a good god or a selfish god and next what is wrong with the world genesis 3 says a very similar thing it's humanity's belief in a lie it's not only the individual that genesis 3 speaks about but also corporately as humanity. And in the language of Genesis 3, uh, in many ways, humanity has become like the serpent. Uh, we have taken on his belief system. Uh, we have become creatures of chaos. And it does affect everything. Um, you might have seen the structure of, of Genesis, which I put on your handout. And you can see the, their decision to, to believe in a lie, both men and women, that affects every, uh, every subsequent event that happens in the passage. Uh, firstly, you see them hiding, and the reason why they're hiding was because they ate, the they ate from, uh, from the tree. Uh, you see the curses, uh, verse 14, God said, because you have done this. And verse 17, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Because they have done the act of sin, uh, the curses are put in place. And lastly, they are kicked out. Uh, look at verse uh, 22. Uh, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. 
and because of the act of rebellion and sin against God. And that's why they were kicked out. See, the central act of sin affects everything. And they hide, they get cursed, and they get kicked out of the garden. And hence, issues like sickness and death and degradation of the world, and they're all linked to humanity's belief in the lie. So I'm not saying that um, our sin has direct correlation or connection to the sickness that you're experiencing. But I think what Genesis 3 is saying is that a corporate action of humanity, uh, the corporate action of believing in the lie about who God is, has resulted in the curse. And God curses humanity to limit the chaos that we can, we can cause on this earth. Uh, so this wrong. Uh, well, not fundamentally uh, the evil tech companies, not climate change, not even COVID-19, uh, but corporately as humanity, uh, we have belief a lie. And that is what's wrong with our world. Uh, there's more to say, obviously, from Genesis 3. Uh, there are things to talk about from about work and about family. And I've put uh, that on the discussion questions that, for you guys to discuss together. And perhaps it might be pretty grim to to end on such a note. Um, but it's worth mentioning as well in our passage, there's, there's a glimmer of hope. I look at Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the women, this is God speaking, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, God promises that there will be a mortal blow to the serpent. And that really sets up the plot of Genesis. One of the big questions in Genesis that we will go on to see is, well, who is the offspring of the woman um, who will crush the serpent's head? And for that, you need to come back next week. But Adam also does something really interesting. Look at verse 20. Adam, the man, he, he called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. After hearing the curses from God, yet he calls his wife the mother of all living. Um, it's really strange. Uh, why did Adam do it? It might just be that Adam heard the promise that God said to the serpent that there will be an offspring who would deal a mortal blow to the serpent's head. And perhaps he trusts in that promise and he calls Eve the mother of all living. Now, who is his offspring? Uh, for that, uh, you need to come back next week. Why don't I pray for us? Father, we praise you for your word. Thank you that it gives us insight into our world and helps us to know what's wrong with it. We pray even as we think about it and we, as we reflect, might you help us to recognize that you are a God that's good and not to believe the lie of the serpent. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.